0: Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles or your phones with you, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. While you're turning there, it's actually really good to see faces. We have wonderful technology in the ability to watch services on YouTube and different channels but uh, there's just something about being able to see faces, and, and even if we don't talk, to just see each other that makes a big difference, doesn't it? I cannot wait until we can worship together corporately and sing and hear one another's voice, not mine, but everybody else's singing together. It's going to be a wonderful time. And so um, this is a poor substitute, but uh, nevertheless, we're getting together on the morning of Jesus' resurrection. So if you have your Bibles with me and you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read three verses, beginning in verse number 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence for it is all for your sake so that grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of god second corinthians is a unique letter of the apostle paul in that it's a defense of his apostleship and what makes it even more unique is that he is defending his apostleship to a church that he founded. If you think about it, that's quite astounding. This church in Corinth, he had already written two letters. He wrote one that we know of but we don't have a copy of. Then he wrote what we call 1 Corinthians in in between time uh he sent Timothy with 1 Corinthians the letter over to the church of Corinth to see what was going on. And what Timothy found was a church in turmoil. So Paul rearranged his plans and he was headed back to Jerusalem instead of going through Macedonia. He decides to go through Corinth and to talk to them about the issues and maybe even have a little bit of confrontation. That did not go so well. Uh, but fortunately, later on, the most of the church repented. Uh, there was a small pocket of vocal people, a small minority, who still questioned his leadership. And so Paul wrote 2 Corinthians as an extended defense of his apostolic ministry. You might ask, what were the the issues that that Paul was dealing with? Well, one of the things that they uh, accused him or questioned his motives about was collecting money to send back to the saints in Jerusalem and Judea because uh, there was a a famine going on and the the Judean Christians were impoverished. Uh, They also were a little bit concerned about they were calling into question his, um, his courage, saying that he wasn't a very courageous person, which I find ridiculous when you read his life, right? And then the third issue, and one that is in our text today, was they said, how can a person filled with the Holy Spirit suffer as much as Paul did? In their minds, that was evidence that he was not an apostle filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul argues back to them saying, look, the fact that I suffer increases the effectiveness of the gospel. It's my weakness as an apostle that makes Jesus Christ so strong. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is his declaration that his suffering is due to the fact that he declares the gospel. He, he says, if you look in uh, verse number two, he told them that he openly told the truth, the truth. Now, I know that we tell our children, you know, tell the truth and, and that sort of thing, but when he says the truth, it's very specific truth that he's talking about. Verse number three, as a matter of fact, he says it's the gospel, He says that the gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In verse number four, he said that they cannot behold the light of the gospel. In verse number five, he says that they proclaim the gospel. And so the the gospel is a message that is proclaimed. It's no different today, is it? It's still true today that the gospel is a message that we proclaim. What is that message, specifically? The message is that every one of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, we have eternal punishment to look forward to. However, God loved so much that he sent Jesus Christ down to earth. He obeyed every dot and every mark of the law. He obeyed human government, he, and then he suffered and died like a common criminal and was laid in a brand new tomb that nobody else had been in, and then after three days, he rose again to live forever, and it's because of this that we see that Jesus is our substitute. He paid for sin on our behalf. What is the response that he wants from us because of this message? The response that he's looking for is for us to repent and believe that gospel. Now, have you ever been involved in an intervention? You know what I'm talking about when I say intervention? Maybe somebody has an addiction or somebody has some chronic problem, whether it's an anger problem or something else, or they're very depressed and so the people that are close to that person and they love that person, they go and have an intervention. What is a common reaction to somebody when, when a group of his loved ones come in and they, or her loved ones come in and intervene? Typically, the, the very first reaction is anger, isn't it? It is. And the reason for that is that nobody likes to be confronted, do they? I don't like to be confronted. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. I got yelled at the other day by a checker in the grocery store. I didn't even realize I was breaking a rule. I was, I was walking out a door, and she said, hey, you're not supposed to go out that door. That's the indoor. door. You go down to the other end of the store and go out that door. I didn't even know I'd done anything wrong. And even though it was a minor thing, nobody likes to be confronted and, and told that they're, they're breaking the rules. Well, when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are, in essence, confronting people, aren't we? We are pointing out that according to God's law, they are not as good as they think that they are. And the reaction many times by people when we present the gospel is is not good. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is recounting his experience of suffering on behalf of the gospel. Look at verse number 7 and following and see how he characterizes that with me, will you? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed Now, Paul, in his suffering, he's recounting the suffering that he's receiving because he's proclaiming the gospel, and that suffering sometimes came from the Jews, didn't it? We know his biography, he goes into town, goes to the synagogue, and the Jews kick him out of the synagogue and stir up a riot. We also know that some of the suffering because of the gospel that he received came from government, And we understand that as well. We remember um, some of the riots that happened because of the the trade and and the silversmiths were losing money and that sort of thing. But I would think to most people, the most surprising suffering that Paul endured was at the hands of Christians. And it's something that we need to remember. And that is this. If you clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all its implications, we will undergo suffering, and many times that suffering will come from within the church. And that's all because the gospel is spoken. Well, if you're like me, uh, which you know I, I I would tend to be this way, probably some people would say. Well, if speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to get that kind of reaction, then why speak the gospel? Why proclaim the gospel? Well, we 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 can't not speak the gospel, can we? The gospel, we have to speak the gospel because the gospel is glorious. It's it's marvelous, it's it's wonderful news. It, it's the message that, that Jesus rescued us from darkness and death and brought us into eternal life. And, and, and so we, we cherish that message. As a result, we see verse number 13. Look at verse number 13 of 2 Corinthians uh, 4 with me. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. Now what is that? I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also spoke. speak. Now, what does that mean? That's a really confusing verse. But if you read that verse, you're going to find something marvelous and wonderful because what Paul says here is that there is a bond between those who speak the gospel. And he's actually making a greater connection to because he's quoting Psalm 116, verse number 10. So if you have a second, turn back to Psalm 116. I want to show you this in context. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. Psalm 116 and verse number 10. This is a verse that Paul quotes. He says, the psalmist says, I believed even when I spoke and am greatly afflicted. Now, doesn't that sound like Paul? In Psalm 116, this is the important context of Psalm 116 and why Paul identified so closely to it. In Psalm 116, the author is, is recounting the persecution and suffering that he is undergoing as a righteous person. and He uses terms such as, in early in the psalm, he says, the snares of death. And then a couple of verses later, he says, he talks about distress and anguish. And yet, in all that danger, the Lord is preserving him, and that's what he's celebrating, the preservation of the Lord. And so you can ask this question of the psalmist, why does the psalmist keep calling out to the Lord and keep praising him when he's suffering for following the Lord? And the answer is beautiful. Are you ready? Look at Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. This is a beautiful truth. I love the Lord. Why? Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. And what is the result? What, what did he conclude? Therefore I will call upon him as long as I shall live. Doesn't that characterize your life? We Love the Lord, and therefore we proclaim his gospel. He has heard our voice. He's heard our pleas for mercy, and he answered them. Now turn back to 2 Corinthians 4.13 with me, if you will. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 4.13, because what Paul is saying is that he has a bond not only with other believers, but he has a bond with the psalmist. Look at the verse one more time. Since we have what? The same spirit of faith according to what has been written. So in this little phrase, Paul said, we are bonded together and we are bonded with the psalmist. Why? Why? Because we have the same spirit of faith of faith. In other words, the same Holy Spirit that indwelled the psalmist also indwelt Paul and also indwells all of us who believe. And so for every believer that's here, you are bonded. Whatever car you're in, you're bonded with the person in the car beside you. Didn't that sound weird to say? So I'm so used to saying the person sitting next to you. But it's the person in the car, the other believers, and maybe not even just believers in this church, but believers in other churches, you are bonded together because the Holy Spirit indwells you. And because of that there's great joy, and gratitude and praise, isn't it? I love Easter morning. I love singing the songs, but there's other songs that we sing because of Jesus Christ our Savior, right? I was thinking this week about the great hymn, The Love of God. Everybody know that that song, that, that hymn? Verse number three says this: Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk of earth a quill? And every man, a resonate with you this morning, dear believer. And we could go on with And Can It Be and Amazing Grace and, and How Great Thou Art and all these songs. We can't help but to speak the gospel and sing the gospel and praise our Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't deserve anything but wrath. We heard the simple gospel message and cried out to the Lord in response to his offer of mercy and grace, and now we're saved, and we, we, there's a pent-up energy, a pent-up praise that we just have to speak that gospel. And so don't miss this first truth. Our unity is found in the fact that the same Spirit dwells within all of us. But there's a second feature of this passage, and I'm going to speed up just a little bit. And that is found in verse number 14, we all had the same resurrection, And what I mean when I say that is that we all have our faith in the same thing. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 14 with me. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I'm sure many of you have thought about that week 2,000 years ago. Jesus stood before Roman authorities and the religious leaders of Israel. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he was found guilty in the biggest sham trial in world history. But he wasn't guilty of any crime. You know what he's guilty of? He was guilty of upsetting their comfortable way of life. They they admitted as much in John. In in John's recounting of it, the religious leaders said, We're going to lose everything if this guy keeps talking and keeps preaching. And so, as a result, he was given 39 stripes. The maximum was 40, but they always stopped short, didn't they? Uh, He was then taken to a hill and he was put on a cross. And the Bible says that he suffered on that cross for hours and at noon, the sky went black. The sun's the sun shining ceased. The, the, the birds, I'm sure, nested because it, it felt like night. And the noontime sky went pitch black for three hours, symbolic of the wrath of God. And the veil of the temple was rent in two. And at 3 p.m., he gave up his spirit. Nobody killed Jesus. He said, it is finished And he meant by that that the redemption was paid. And he gave up his spirit. And on the third day, hallelujah, hallelujah for the third day, the greatest display of power the world has ever seen. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God raised him from the grave. He raised his body from the tomb. No power on earth could hold him. The power of the grave the power of the minions of hell. Satan, nobody could hold Jesus Christ in the grave because the awesome power of the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. He conquered death. And in an instant, Paul said this. He said, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the same power, the same power, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the grave will one day raise you from the grave as well. Amen? Thank you. Now here's here's the question. How do we know that this is not pie in the sky, feel-good theology? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How do we know that? The answer is, because the Holy Spirit already made you alive, didn't he? And you were dead in trespasses and sin, but God made us alive. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter two says? And so now, all of a sudden, that Bible reading that you couldn't understand, the Bible is now understandable. That church that you didn't enjoy, all of a sudden now is so enjoyable. The Savior that you didn't treasure, you now treasure. The bond that you did not have with other Christians, you now had. And you see that spiritual life. And so the Christian life, the spiritual life that you experience here on earth is a foretaste, a shadow of the full life, resurrection life that we will have one day in heaven. Hallelujah. There's a verse in Psalm 116 that I've used for many funerals, and many of you know it, you've heard it at funerals. And it says this, Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Now, that's a really odd saying, isn't it? Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. How on earth can somebody's death be precious? Answer, 2 Corinthians 4.14. Because at the moment our physical bodies die, our spirit is ushered into the presence of God. And Jesus Christ, upon his return, will resurrect our bodies, and one day our body will join our spirit in heaven, and we will be there with God in his presence forever and ever and ever. And so we, we have this resurrection hope. And so we have unity as a church because we have the same indwelling spirit. And we have unity as a church because our hope is in the same resurrection. Now, I have one last question very quickly I want to cover, and that is why? Why all of this? And the why is verse number 15. So that God in all his glory will be multiplied. Look at verse number 15. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We have unity in the spirit. We proclaim the gospel because the gospel is the the the, by the gospel people receive life. The Bible says that one day the gospel will be preached to the whole world, to the whole earth. And as it is preached, some will scoff. Some will ignore it. And some will try to use it for their own advantage. But many will hear that gospel and their hearts will be changed and they will be saved and their heart, they will bear fruit. That word will bear fruit in their lives. Some 20 and some 50 and some a hundredfold. And this glorifies God. And on one day in the future, they will all gather, and there will be no more tears or sorrow. There will be no more evil, no more temptation, no more death. There will be no more coronavirus, praise God. That's a great amen line right there. Let's hear it. Okay, one well, you. Thank you. Are you all asleep? <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Um, where was I? And the gathered ones at that time will be saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that is how the glory of God is increasing as we proclaim this gospel, as the the ones who have repented and believed that gospel, unified by the Holy Spirit, unified in the hope of the resurrection, go through proclaiming the gospel more and more and more people uh, believe that gospel and God is glorified. You know, when a couple gets married, the Bible says that these two shall become one flesh, and a bond begins that's inexplicably strong. If you're in such a marriage, you know what I speak of, but you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that the bond that we have with one another in Jesus Christ is far greater and longer lasting than the best earthly marriage a couple has experienced. So if you're a husband today sitting in the car with your wife, you know that the greater bond is not the marriage bond, but the bond of brothers and sisters in Christ. The bond that I have with my wife, she's sitting over there in her car, um, in the marriage bond does not compare to the bond that we have because we're a brother and sister in Jesus Christ And one day, when we're in heaven, they will not know us as Mr. and Mrs. Edgecombe. We will be brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and have a much tighter bond for all of eternity, forever and ever and ever, praising God and glorifying God. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross, was resurrected the third day, and we are are bonded with him through his Holy Spirit and in hope of eternal life. What a wonderful Resurrection Day promise. Let's pray together, will you? Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the bond that we have through the Holy Spirit. We thank you that um, we know and understand The gospel message, and have complete, 100% sure hope in the resurrection because we have already experienced the power of Jesus Christ because our lives have been transformed. Lord, we thank you that Jesus loves so much, God loves so much, that he sent Jesus to do the hard thing so that we can do the easy thing, and that is to believe. Lord, I pray that as we uh, think about this and celebrate this, that, that our bond of unity uh, will grow stronger with one another day by day as we pray together, as we sing together, as we minister together and, and worship together, Lord, may we experience a little bit of what it's going to be like in heaven. And Lord, if there's anyone out here who does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that they will think about this, that your Holy Spirit, will speak to their lives, Lord, and that they'll be saved as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.